0: Good morning, everybody. There it is. Let's wake up. It's all right. I'm sleep deprived, full of caffeine, and ready to go. Um, This morning, we're going to be in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 3, verse 7. And you'll notice, uh, if you're using the New King James Version, at least, that the heading there, which was added, of course, says the faithful church. But in our reality, I want to talk to you this morning about the overcoming church, Uh, really the victorious church church. Um, And of course, as we talked about in the weeks before, that when we talk about a church, we're not talking about an an organization or a denomination. We're talking about the body of people that consists of that, what we would call church. And so when we talk about churches, we're talking about ourselves. And so I just want to make a quick reminder uh, of that before we get started and before we look at um, how is it that Jesus blesses this church, and how is it that they have become an overcoming church? So before we read, let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the ability to gather together, Father, without fear, to declare your word, Lord, to be one in spirit, one in mind. And I pray, Jesus, that as we speak, Father, that truly you would speak Father, I pray that you would move me out of the way, Lord. You would put the flesh to death and you would make us alive in your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, whatever you want to say to your people today, let it come forth. And I ask, Lord, as we open your word, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word with a joyful, joyful obedience. So it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia right? These things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You've kept my word and have not denied my name." Amen. So this is the church, uh, the letter to the church in Philadelphia. This is the sixth out of seven churches that Jesus writes to in Revelation 2 and 3. And interestingly enough, out of all of these seven churches, this is one of only two churches that is not rebuked for any reason. It's Smyrna and Philadelphia. There's no rebuke. There's only an encouragement. There's only an acknowledgement of the things that they've done and an encouragement to press in going forward. And so as we look at this letter to the Church of Philadelphia, one of the things that I've touched on, um, not in every letter, but a a couple of times, is if you go back and you read through these letters, you're going to notice something. You're going to notice that at the beginning of every letter, Jesus declares himself as the speaker, okay? But more importantly, he, he um, what's the word I just said? <laughs> he declares himself uh, in a different way every time. There's a different depiction of who this Jesus, who this king is. And that's very important. It's important for a number of reasons. For one, the character of God is multifaceted, okay? He is an endless, everlasting God, And it's very important to to understand that he is perfect in his justice and he's perfect in his mercy. He's perfect in his love and he's perfect in his wrath. And anybody who thinks we don't serve a wrathful God has never read the scriptures, okay? Because it does not stop in the Old Testament, I guarantee you that. Read Revelation. He has this perfect multifaceted character and the story of the scriptures from beginning to end is this God who reveals himself to men, declaring his own glory for his own purpose. And so for his glory and character to be made known is very, very important to him. So there's a lot we can learn about who Jesus is just by looking at how is Jesus um, depicting himself and what does this mean? The second thing is what you'll notice if you go back and study these again, is that the way he depicts himself is important to the letter he's writing. There's a purpose for how Jesus is describing himself. And so to the churches that he rebukes, he comes in different ways, right? He comes as one who says, if you do not repent, I will take your lampstand, And at the beginning, he declares himself as the one who holds the seven stars and the seven churches in his hand. And another one he rebukes and he says, I am the one with eyes like fire and with a double edged sword. And he says, if you do not repent, I will come and fight against you with the word of my mouth. And so we see this parallel between how Jesus is uh, depicting himself and the reality of what he's trying to get his church to understand. And this letter is no different. And so while it would be very easy to um, pass over this introduction, I think especially for the rest of the letter, it's very, very important to look at how is Jesus describing himself to this overcoming church? And how is it going to help us be an overcoming church as well? Amen? So, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says, he who is holy, set apart, completely independent in himself from creation, from anything that would stain, from anything that would defile, and he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Now, we're gonna touch on that for just a second. I want that description just to linger in your mind for a moment. And why is that important? Again, the same way he starts every letter, he says in verse eight, I know your works. What does that mean? I know, yes, your physical works, but also I know the intentions of your heart. I understand the ins and outs of your life. Even the good things have not gone unnoticed. God has an account. He sees. I know your works. And he says, see, I have set before you an open door and no one, can shut it for you have a little strength you have kept my word and indeed you have not denied my name now it's very interesting in all of these other churches jesus says hey i see your works i see your faithfulness i see your your perseverance i see that your works are greater at the end than they were in the beginning and he says all of these great things at the, about these churches but then he says but i have one thing against you You've forgotten your first love. I have one thing against you. You allow these false teachers in my midst. I have one thing against you. You have compromised and you have not held to the doctrine I have set before you. I have one thing against you. Jesus cares very much about the purity of his church. He cares very much about his word. He cares very much about the witness that is going on. He says, I see your works, but here, he does not address any of those things. He says, in fact, he's pleased, and for what reason? Because they have a little bit of strength? Well, man, the church that had greater works at the end than the beginning, that sounds better than these guys. Right? You've kept my word? Well, that's great. These other guys, they're talking about going into persecutions and fights and battles with false teachers, and that sounds even better than these guys. And you have not denied my name. <clears throat> but you know, there's something very beautiful about the simple faithfulness of this church that pleases Jesus. And here's why. He says, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Do you know why that description of Jesus is important? All of these churches have been experiencing trials to some degree. All of these churches have experienced persecutions, and I'm gonna justify this church in that way as well. Um, To some degree, all of these churches are are going through these things, and Jesus is coming, and he's encouraging them because when he says, I have the key of David, there was, who was it in the Old Testament um, that that's referred to about, what's his name? He's given the key of David. He's given, what that means is he's given authority over the temple and the tabernacle and the house to, to, to do as he wishes. He was the grand vizier, if you will. I should have wrote his name down because I forget. But it was, it was a declaration of authority. It's like when someone gets the key to the city, right? I never understood what that meant growing up. Like, I'm pretty sure one key doesn't open every door in the city. I don't even know what that means. But... but uh, to, Eliakim. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Eliakim. He's given the key to the house of David. He's given authority. And any door he opens, no one can shut it. And any door he decides to close and lock, no one can open because he is in charge. And no one can question that authority. But Jesus says, I... Jesus, the root of Jesse, the seed of David, the the only king forever, the ultimate fulfillment of all of God's promises, the king who will sit on the throne forever. I have the key of David. I have the key to the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. And what did he give to Peter? He says, Peter, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. And when the Holy Spirit, when the kingdom of God was opened to the Jews, Peter was there. kingdom of God was open to the Samaritans, Peter was there to lay hands on them. When the kingdom of God was open to the Gentiles, Peter was there at Cornelius' house. And that's how Jews see the world. Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, the kingdom of the world has now been opened to all creation. But Peter was there. And he got that authority from who? From Jesus. So Jesus is encouraging this church to remember who he is and to remember where their little strength comes from in the first place. Right? We've been reading at home church on Friday nights in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to put that up on the screen here. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27, and actually that whole paragraph, but we just took one verse, uh, Paul is writing about really how most of the people God chooses are not strong, mighty, wise, or any of these things. But it says in 1 Corinthians 1 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And he goes on and on. But the point is, is, is God does not need our help or our abilities. In fact, God is the power that we walk in as Christians. And what he calls us to be is faithful and pure. Everybody say faithful and pure faithful and pure. And so when we go back to uh, Revelation chapter three, let's see, where were we are. Verse seven, he's reminding this church, hey, I'm about to encourage you and ask you to continue in your holiness, but it's okay because I'm holy. I'm about to ask you and encourage you to hold steadfast in the truth and to not waver, but it's okay because I am true. And I'm gonna ask you to walk through doors that are gonna be difficult for you. They're gonna be challenging for your life. But I am the one who holds the key. And any door I open, no one will close. Do you see how important, how encouraging that description of who Jesus is? He's reminding them of his character, of his sovereignty. And he's reminding them that all of the goodness in their life comes from him. He is the source. He is the well. He is the branch. Wait, divine. Where the branch? Anyways, whichever way. Of, you know what I mean. He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. And he says to them, See, I am setting before you an open door and no one can shut it. What if you were called? I want you just to imagine. You're called to Malaysia you're called to Japan, you're called to somewhere, I don't know, whatever's crazy place to you, right? California, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Faith laughs, she's from California. So am I, technically. Um, you're, you're called to some place, you don't know the culture. Let's say you don't know the language and the Lord just says go. And you're like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to do that? I gotta raise all this money. I don't know what I'm gonna do. My family's gonna think I'm a lunatic. Some of y'all are like, my family already thinks I'm a lunatic. That part's not Um, (laughs) far-fetched. And you're you're worried and concerned. And I want you to think about the turmoil of that. If the Lord right now said, sell your house and go. But then he came to you in a vision. He came to you in a dream. He said, no, it's okay. I'm the one who opens doors. And I'm gonna hold every door open and no one will close it. Man, there's a power in that. There's a power in that. But in reality, Jesus speaks that to each one of his servants because when we walk in his will, he brings it to pass. What we ask in his name, he shall do. And so to this church, it's really not an incredible thing for him to say that because he says, hey, you have a little strength. Verse eight, you have a little strength. Now this is, this is amazing to me, guys. Philadelphia, nobody, nobody came from around the world to go see the Church of Philadelphia, okay? They didn't do that, right? They weren't on sermonindex.net, right? Nobody was watching their YouTube channel, mostly because YouTube didn't exist, but that's not the point. Okay, this was not a famous, powerful, known for signs and wonders. And I mean, maybe they did signs and wonders. We don't really know. But I'm saying it's not like this was the most prominent church on earth. There was nothing probably for this church to be noted for. Even Jesus says, hey, you only have a little strength. That's it. But you've held to it. You've held to it. Can you go to that next verse under 1 uh, Corinthians, brother? Oh, no, it's okay. Next one. But here's the beautiful thing about the God we serve. Like I've said, and like I've been saying, God does not need your ability. In fact, God wants to supply power to you. And it's the poor in spirit who receive the kingdom. It's the meek who inherit the earth. And even Paul, the most prominent apostle in our mind. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses nine through 10, he says, and God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Next verse. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Next verse. Second Tim- Timothy 3.12. This is a promise. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I actually jumped ahead of myself, but that's okay. Y'all get a little, little, little taste there. But what is Paul saying? He's saying that, man, there is a power of God that appears where our power ends, And so Jesus is coming to this church in Revelation. You can leave it there, 2 Timothy. Uh, Coming to this church in Revelation, he's saying, hey man, I see that you have this much strength, but you've been faithful to that much strength. And so now I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna supply the rest. Now I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna open doors for you. Now I'm gonna come in and I'm going to fulfill the ministry and the calling I've given you. And all I need you to do is keep holding on to that little bit you've been given. See, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength. You have kept my word. And when it talks about keeping the word, that doesn't mean memorizing it. Oh, you've, you've remembered my word. No, you've kept it. You've held it close. You've obeyed it. You've walked in my steps and have not denied my name. Now that's very important because the fact that Jesus is commending them for not denying his name, you know what that implies? At least to me, you can argue with me later if you want, I don't know. But you know what that implies to me? That they've been put in situations and trials and struggles where that was a very real temptation. Where they could have denied his name. Or maybe they were even prompted to it's very interesting second Timothy 3:12 like we just read yes and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution there will be some sort of testing there will be some trial that comes because of your faith because of the world or word sorry because of the word in your life and if that never comes in small ways or big ways there should be a concern for us Next verse In Galatians 5:11 Paul writes he says, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? If I still taught this, then the offense of the cross has ceased. What is he saying? He's saying, look, I could preach Jesus and circumcision, and I would be Gucci. Nobody would mess with me. The Jews would leave me alone. The Gentiles would leave me alone. My own brethren would stop hating me. He was hated by his own people. He's saying, if I, if I preach circumcision, you know, Jesus plus, Jesus and, Jesus with, I would be fine. All it, all it would take is that much compromise. Just that much. And my persecution would go away. The, the, the offense of the cross has ceased. And that's the thing sometimes we forget. The cross is offensive, and we want to butter people up and tell them good words like somehow the cross is going to make them feel better. No, the cross is offensive to people's flesh. And we should expect that, but the Holy Spirit is life and life more abundantly. And when he opens someone's eyes, is done. And so offensiveness comes from not compromising his truth. And he's acknowledging this church, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. And it's very interesting in the other churches we've already gone through as they're being rebuked for for the teachings they're allowing in their churches, for, for the prophetess, quote unquote, that they're allowing to speak in their churches, and they're not rebuking, they're partnered with those things. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we deny the way, we've denied Jesus to some extent. If we deny the truth, We desire Jesus to some sense. If we deny the fullness of his life, we're denying him. And so holding to my name is not not just, well, I've never denied him with my lips. I've never said Jesus isn't Lord. Well, great, have you denied him with your life? Have you walked contrary to his spirit? Have you denied the truth? Have you not submitted fully because it's difficult? Because people will shun you? you have a little strength, you've kept my word and have not denied my name. This is why it's so important that Jesus is saying, look, I'm just asking, I'm, in fact, I'm telling you you've been holy and I'm thanking you because I'm holy. Continue in that. You've walked in truth before me and that's good because I am truth and there is no darkness in me. That's another scriptural pull, by the way. Continue in that. And because your strength is little, I'm going to open doors for you. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I, listen to this. I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. What? So this persecution, I say, that they've probably already been facing, you know where it's coming from? It's coming from somebody, some people that Jesus calls a synagogue of Satan. Jews who are not Jews. The Bible talks about that. Not all Israel is Israel, but only those with saving faith. Even in the Old Testament, salvation was by faith. Not all Israel is either. These are are not real Jews, and they're coming against you. Why? Because they're saying you're walking contrary to God's truth. They're persecuting you for your love for me, but you are doing what I've asked you to do, and it will not be forgotten. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you persevere, and on that day, you're gonna stand shining in garments of white with your face radiating like the sun in my presence and my kingdom. And these people who have come against you, they're gonna come groveling up and they're gonna have to worship before you. And they're gonna know in that day that I am the Lord and that you are my servants. That's beautiful. That's the implication of what Jesus is talking about. And guys, that's very encouraging. That should be very encouraging because if you follow Jesus and if you have your heart set on obeying his word, more and more and more Christians are gonna point their finger at you. More and more and more people in the world are going to point their finger at you. If you say, hey, no, actually, God loves unborn babies. Guess what? People are gonna point their finger at you. Hey, no, like these sins are still sins people are gonna point their finger at you. And he says, and you will be hated for my namesake. That's Jesus' words. If they hated you, they'll hate me. If people who would have hated Jesus 2,000 years ago love you today, let's do a a life check. But there's glory on the other end. I am going to glorify my name. That's what Jesus is saying. And you, we know that the scriptures say, and if you don't know, I'm gonna tell you now, That your life is hidden in Christ, ready to be revealed on the last day. This is all temporary, guys. And he says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, that's a very interesting statement. There's a very controversial discussion between is there a rapture or is there not a rapture? And there's a lot of very good evidence on both sides. And it's a very difficult, difficult discussion to have. It's a discussion that I cannot go through myself and answer every question to. However, this is one of those verses that seems to point to the fact that indeed, in some way, the church will not be present during the great part of the tribulation because God calls it the day of his wrath upon the earth, that his judgments will fall upon the earth dwellers right? And that the only people that's not affected by God's wrath are those who are sealed in Revelation 7, which are the 144,000 Jews. So either Jew, it seems to be either the Christians are unsealed, which is not going to happen, or perhaps they're not there. And so when he tells them, if you persevere, if you keep my word, I'm going to keep you from that time to when I judge the earth, it seems to point, it's a, it's a strong case in my opinion, is all I'm saying. Um, What is my hope for you um, hearing this message today? My hope is for you to be like this overcoming church who did not have much to offer. They weren't great and mighty perhaps in the sight of the world or maybe even in the sights of the other churches, but the little strength they had, the little knowledge they had, they held fast to. And Jesus was well pleased with them. And just as Jesus says, hey, to whom I gave one talent and he came back with five, I'm gonna give more. That is how Jesus deals with us that as we simply remain faithful and obedient, the Lord moves every obstacle out of the way and he will prosper us in our pursuit of him. And if anybody wants to close the door open it, Jesus can kick it open. And if anybody tries to open the wrong door, Jesus can slam it shut. And we can have confidence in who he is. And he's just saying, please do not compromise. Your enemies, I will put under your feet. You just trust in me. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, Lord, that our hope is not in this world, Lord, but it's in the kingdom to come, which will never fade or fall. It's a treasure that cannot be destroyed or stolen, Father God, we thank you for your goodness, that the victory is already done, Lord, that we are already more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that you would put humility in our heart, but that you would also put a steadfastness, Father, That you would let us cling to your word and to your character and be unmovable regardless of who comes against us, Lord God. Even in the face of of many trials, Father, of, of personal hurt, Lord. Because on the other side is glory and grace. And you will be with us every step of the way. So Lord, continue to teach us how to just rest on your word, how to rest on your power and to just be faithful with the little. We glorify you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.